Hello, my friends. Welcome to Let's Talk. My name is Shay Marville. I am the founder of OurMindIsCalm.com. I am an entrepreneur, a philanthropist, a curator, a meditation teacher, and a mom. And I am also going through the wildness of this pandemic. I want to talk about the good things, the hard things, the sad things, and the great things. I want to talk about sustainability, healthcare, work, love, relationships, innovation, and technology. I hope you want to talk about those things too. And I hope that this space becomes a place that lifts us and helps us to think differently, to become stronger, to become more resilient, and to grow so that tomorrow we are stronger and we are better. So let's talk. Welcome, welcome to Let's Talk. My name is Shay Marville, and today I have the phenomenal pleasure of introducing you to David Hornick. He's the general partner at August Capital, where they invest in consumer and enterprise software and services technology, and he's worked closely with startups for the last 20 years. Prior to joining August, David was a litigator at Kravath, Swain, and Moore, and corporate and licensing attorney at Venture Law Group and Perkins and Cooey. David is the author of the first venture capital blog and the first venture capital podcast, VentureCast. He's the founder and producer of the Lobby Conferences, a series of events that gather the thought leaders in the consumer and enterprise technology sector. David holds an AB in computer music from Stanford, a master's of philosophy in criminology from Cambridge University, and a doctorate of jurisprudence from Harvard Law School. David teaches entrepreneurship and venture capital at Harvard Law School and Stanford Business School. Along with sitting on the boards of numerous technology startups, David is also a board member of GLAAD. David, welcome to Let's Talk. So let's talk. We have not talked, actually, in uh, quite a few years, and I've been following your very exciting career at investments and and all the different uh, communities that you teach in. I just wanted to say thank you for being here. And first of all, how are you doing in this uh, new world that we are living in? Wow. (laughs) <laughs> i don't start i don't start with the small questions That's right let's dive right in no it's great to talk to you i appreciate the time and um it's a, that's a hard question because it has so many permutations right i mean ultimately um it is an interesting time to be a parent it's an interesting time to be a person it's an interesting time to be a venture capitalist it's uh a interesting and challenging time to be uh, someone who cares about (laughs) humans. So uh, in the grand scheme of things, I'm doing great, which just causes one to feel a little guilty, to tell you the truth. (laughs) So, um, Well, well, I guess it also depends on how you define great, right? Like it depends on what you value and also how much access you have to the things that allow you to be okay right now. Right. That's that's 100% right. I mean, and so as I said, like my, 
I have four children. They are healthy and more or less coping with these challenging times. Although one of them is uh, is a composer, an aspiring Broadway composer, and he is quite distraught at the current state of theater, which is fair oh, enough. Of course, uh, I'm an investor, and obviously we are in interesting times. And and they have been challenging for some companies. We had one company that on one day was uh, on on a pace to make 80 million dollars that year and the next day was on a pace to make 0 million dollars right that's an astonishing change but Stunning. on the other hand people have been incredibly resilient in built in being able to work in these challenging times and build build great companies and build community etc so um so I sort of feel on the one hand, like I'm very, very lucky that I have the technology and the resources mm -hmm. for everyone in my immediate orbit to be doing quite well despite these challenges. On the other hand, I'm acutely aware of how hard this has been for others, how hard it, you know, and, and how hard it will continue to be. And I feel, uh, I feel like I'm not doing enough on that front. Well, and, and this is why I, I really wanted to talk to you because I, I'd like that, that uh, bird's eye view uh, in terms of, you know, where, where the economy might be going and things that you might be noticing. But before we get into that piece, I, I, it's so interesting to me that you mention your son and, and his musical career, because don't you have uh, also a degree in music as well? I do, although he would scoff. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's, I mean, and, and so I find that really fascinating because, I mean, well, you have many degrees, um, you, you know, in law and um, and in music, and uh, and 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 you also you teach and you are you in you invest and and you you mentor uh, new businesses. But I'm really curious about that creative piece and how that applies to what you're doing in business. Yeah, I, that's such a fun question, and I and I think it does. To tell you the truth, I mean, to a certain extent, I I lean into it in ways that I think most investors and, in some ways, most professionals wouldn't. I think that all business is personal. I think that you know, that relationships uh, span both business and and human and personal relationships and people like to engage with folks who have um, you know who who have their own point of view and so I'm very much a person who uh, who who loves the arts who who is engaged in being um, I was going to say artistic although that's totally not fair <laughs> I guess supporting the arts but you know I, I have this this conference, this conference that I run, that's a business conference. And yet since the day I started it now, almost 13 years ago, uh, I have started that conference by appearing in some ridiculous costume or other. <laughs> uh, I have been known to sing and to play instruments and generally uh, poke fun at myself. In the context of this gathering of some of the most important people in my business in tech, et cetera, and I, and I think that that has been a good thing because in the end, people ultimately want to engage with with 
genuine individuals. They want to be, um, they, they like to be entertained. They like the idea that people think about the world more broadly than just a, a transaction. And, um, and, and that's been both fun, more fun for me, but also I think been been valuable. Well, it's really about being in relationship with people, right? And finding avenues into each other's minds and hearts without it being about business or academia or what you're going to, you know, how much you're going to make together. But like, who are we? Who are we together? No, exactly. Exactly. I mean, I really think that I, I have come to know over time people in in business who think of the world as a long string of transactions. Oh, I'm going to trade you A for B. I'm going to buy C for D, etc. Um, I will I'll deal with those people. They exist. And uh, and anyone in business recognizes they exist. But I would much rather engage with people who think of it of business as personal, as about relationships and about long-term relationships, which means that I'm not trading you A for B. I'm engaging in a conversation with you about how we can um, how we can work together today around A and B, knowing that someday there will be a C and D. And that's a very different way of living your life. Oh, yeah. I mean, that is so incredibly organic. But I think also it's so necessary right now as we try to reconfigure, how do I make a life? How do I make a living? How does that work right now as we transition through this experience? Yeah. And, and, and. And again, I, I say this with an understanding that I'm lucky that uh, I'm not, you know, at the moment trying to figure out how to make ends meet. I am. I have. Uh, I've invested in a bunch of great companies. I have a venture fund. I have. Um, I sit on the boards of companies that have done well, and so uh, you know. I think it would be a reasonable critique to say, David, that's a very privileged position you live in. But on the other hand, I think that it is it is ultimately the best path to success. How do, how do you make that path more inclusive or how do you open that up so that that others can feel like that's an opportunity for them? Is that you as an individual driving that or is that a systemic or um, structural uh, piece? I think the answer is yes. And yes. <laughs> right? right? I mean, it ha- I think individuals have to, have to be serious about it and engage in it, uh, in the idea that, um, that there should be more fairness and more equity. And then I think that institutions have to be, be able to think about that. And I don't, I don't say that as if it's an easy, easy path or process. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that it is something that one can be intentional about. And the thing over which I have the greatest control, my, my conference, I worked hard to try and create greater, greater equity. And, um, and, you know, I think that those of us who are working in business need to need to, to be thoughtful about that. Do, do you think it, that uh, people are not thoughtful about it because they 
just forget or are really focused on people who are like themselves and just trying to create and they they don't see like they have a blind spot they don't see that that uh things aren't always equitable yeah i think that's 100% right i think it is very easy to think to yourself well i'm i'm colorblind and i'm treating people fairly and you know etc and therefore you know this isn't about me and this isn't about the the choices i've made the problem with that is it just misses it misses the point mm-hmm. right it misses the point that you know so much of what led to the moment at which you got to be quote unquote fair was unfair and mm-hmm. um and and so again i mean we have to figure out to what degree we can um you know, we, we can lean into giving people opportunities, you know, engaging. Uh, and and I and as I say repeatedly, being intentional about it instead of just saying like, oh, if it if all things work out, I will I will, you know, I will do X, Y and Z. No, you have to actually make a decision to try and um, try and create change. Well, and I, and I think also I, I think that so many entrep- entrepreneurs and uh, venture uh, investors are hustlers, uh, and there's a and and I think if if people started to also see that it's not only about creating a more fair uh, economy, it's actually about expanding your pipeline. I don't mean to be crude, but I think I think people, if they knew that, if they really understood that they are actually, there's a lot of things they can't actually see. Um, and, there, and there are a lot of people they're not engaging with, and that actually is narrowing uh, what their opportunity. I think maybe some people would be more open, because I think one of the challenges for a lot of people is that they think of themselves as hustling, 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 and they don't think and competing, right? And they don't think that their comp, their competing and their hustling is preventing anyone else from getting uh, to the finish line, <laughs> you know? Right. No, and I, and and look, it's theoretically it isn't right. I mean, you know, I think there are lots of very good people who are busy you know thinking that all they're trying to do is be successful themselves and not at the expense of others but that doesn't really answer the question right no. it doesn't um and not if and not if you're serious about equality no how do you feel now should i well i mean dare i ask you about how you feel today a week a week after the election and in the United States and um, where things are in terms of the conversation around equity. I mean, we didn't just talk, decide to talk about this before, but I just thought yeah, I'd ask yeah. you and we can, we can play with it. Yeah, I mean, I, I was wondering, it is hard not to get into politics in, in the face of where we stand today. And... Uh, and, and I have tried very hard in some regards not to inject politics into or, or to to cross over politics and business. Yes. But uh, with one exception, which is I sit on the board of GLAD, which is one of the leading LGBTQ uh, advocacy organizations. And I have basically taken the view that that. You know, LGBTQ rights are human rights, and I'm going to take a strong view that there's really only one correct point of view when it comes to human rights. 
And so um, now arguably the same thing could be said about our current political situation. <laughs> So uh, I am extraordinarily relieved by the outcome. I am extraordinarily distraught that there are so many people who were, you know, who found such un-American points of view to not be disqualifying, mm. right? Mm. And... And that's just astonishing to me. I just think that we should we should want to elect leaders who believe in in fairness, in in equity, uh, who don't espouse positions that divide. Uh, I, I'm astonished that there are so many people who are willing to fight so hard to disenfranchise. My, if you want to bring people into the mix, by all means. But this idea that you're going to work so hard to 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 take away the capacity to vote is just un. Uh, indefensible to me. So I have a I am of a mixed mind today. I am re immensely relieved by the outcome of the presidential race. I continue to be extraordinarily distraught that so many Americans um, could still support what what I view as such a pernicious worldview. Do you think that part of it, though, and, and, and I don't want to take take you down the road of politics because that's not really what this is about. I, I, I think there are a lot of listeners who want to hear about, you know, well, how, like what, what mindset do I need to start to consider as I try to navigate this very strange time that I find myself in? And, and that's whether you have money or you have opportunity or or you don't um i i i work with lots of people in all from all sorts of backgrounds and what i would say is generally a lot of people majority of people are really struggling right now and and for some it's economic some it's emotional some it's you know in terms of their family but for many it's what's next and how do i start to reframe how I'm thinking about, like, what do I do for a living? How am I going to make, a, you know, a new life? And it's not because they don't have money. It's because they're trying to reinvent something. And then the last point I have is that I wonder about some of the people who are what you just described, who, who, who are espousing these un-American ideas I wonder how afraid they are and and I wonder how you communicate with them about the possibilities of this new world. No, I think that's all I think those are all fair concerns. I think they're all I think that you know a powerfully strong successful economy truly does lift 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 more people it doesn't lift everyone i think it's hard to 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 envision and we have not historically been able to envision an economy that lifts everyone mm -hmm. but the capacity to create a great economy uh you know a fair and decent economy that lifts up the vast majority of us um as we evolve in whatever whatever it is we're doing i think that is a, i think that is not a hard thing to envision and not a hard thing to support mm 
And that is not the same thing as saying, as as our current president has said, well, people of color are doing better today than they've ever done before, right? Lowering the um, unemployment rate across the board is not helping, is not, you know, uniquely helping anyone to, to address uh, systemic challenges. Um, but I do think that there is an opportunity and I do. And I, one of the reasons I love entrepreneurship and I love the startup world is that, that you can reimagine the, um, the, the kind of environment that you want to support. And that is what you can build. And I've watched over the last 20 years as an investor, People build amazing businesses supported by an incredibly diverse group of people from different uh, backgrounds and histories and education and upbringing. And everybody rises up because these companies exactly. uh, are, you know, are are creating opportunity. So that's what we should be doing. We should be creating opportunity and we should be intentional about making sure that that opportunity is um, is shared broadly and universally. And if we do those things, I think that we'll have, you know, we the economy will do better, the companies will do better, uh, and it'll be fairer. Is is that your intent with the lobby conference? Is that, is, is your intent to create uh, more opportunities for different thinkers and entrepreneurs to come together and, and build new things? Is it, you know, is that is that what you're trying to do? Like your mission? Um, I, I I would love to tell you that that is true. <laughs> that uh, I was that I created this event to um, to create a, the the world I would love to live in. Um, I actually created it as I said, 14 years ago. I started the process of creating it because I was new to the venture world. And I Mm -hmm. sort of felt like there were no good conferences that really gave the opportunity for people to build real relationships. And I thought that that should exist. I suppose I thought it would be good for me as a, as an investor to engage with amazing people. Um, I can't say that when I started it, I actually was focused on these broader questions of creating, you know, more, greater equity and opportunity, et cetera. And in fact, when I have in recent you know, years looked back on that original community, mm-hmm. it was astonishingly white and male, uh, embarrassingly so in ways that... Um, you know, that obviously I've worked hard to remedy since, but, you know, no one would look at my very first conference and say, you know, wow, <laughs> what a shot in the arm for, you know, for diversity, uh, which again, I, 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 I say not as a defense of it, I say as a, an indictment. Um, but I think that's where we are. I think that's, we think we all have had to to recognize the, the failings of the past. And some of us, I think, are being proactive about it. Well, and I, I think also recognizing also is about evolving and, and growing and, and saying, okay, well, um, maybe this is the way I've done things before, but I'm, I can be open to new ways. I, I, like, I really believe that's one of the great values of diversity. I, I think people get very stuck on um, trying to be 
fair without being engaged. And I think it's much easier to be fair and open and and divert, dynamically diverse if you are open to different relationships and, and listening to different stories and experiences. And then you start to see how these experiences can expand your business. And, and lo and behold, that does a great thing for your community. You know, I, I, I don't think there's any time that diversity really isn't good, <laughs> but that's just my yep. perspective. Right, right. Uh, no, I think, and I think, and I think that, you know, one of the challenges for the venture world has been that there has been plenty of research that suggests that's a hundred percent true, and then there've been a lot of individuals who have had a kind of myopic view, and therefore it is reinforced by their experiences as opposed to data. Right. And you would think that a group of people who are data driven, or hopefully data driven. Um, would pay more attention to that. And yet that's the challenge. So I share your worldview. I think that I'm surrounded by entrepreneurs who, who similarly share that worldview, but I will acknowledge that by and large, uh, they're, they're white male CEOs and they're trying to create more diverse, better organizations. Um, but, you know, we, we all, I and, uh, and all of us should do a better job of giving opportunity and funding, funding great non-white, non-male entrepreneurs. How, what, what inspired you? I mean, okay, that, I don't like the word inspired because it's overused, but what, what sort of ignited you um, around the idea of becoming an entrepreneur? Because you've, you've sort of, you've had this really fascinating pathway. You've a master's degree, I believe, in criminology as well. Is that correct? Yeah. And, yeah. and, and, and <laughs> you know, a doctorate uh, from Harvard and a master's in philosophy. Um, and now you are a venture capitalist and you have your own podcast and you, you, you've, you know, you you work with entrepreneurs on a regular basis. Like, how, like, what was it? Like, what was that seed in your life that produced where you are right now? I want to just take a second to to not offend all of the folks with actual doctorates from Harvard. But okay. mine is a Juris Doctorate, which is okay. a JD. Uh, I have a law degree from Harvard. <laughs> okay, okay. Sorry, I was I was elevating you. I was really ele- I appreciate yep. it. I feel, you know, in in the ultimate of Jewish guilt by not becoming a doctor, I have already failed my mother. Not becoming a doctor and then to not get a PhD is also failing. And so, uh, you know, I, I don't want to. I don't want to reinforce it. So, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I think that ultimately. What has served me well is just this is is a curiosity, is a desire to pursue things that were exciting and interesting to me, regardless of of their you know the, their direct connection to the things I'm doing at the, of the moment, um, and a desire to surround myself with amazing people and understand what what they're doing and how they're thinking, all of that. And I think those things have been have led me a, along a bunch of different paths. And I've just been willing to say, like, oh, that that's exciting and interesting. Maybe I'll pursue it, right? And and so I 
started with with uh, friends of uh, the first venture capital blog because it sort of seemed like we should be talking about what we're doing. Uh, I started podcasting because I like to talk. <laughs> I started <laughs> my too. conference because <laughs> it seemed like a great way to bring friends together. I start I started teaching because I find students incredibly energizing like they're excited and engaged and uh and that is that's so fun and i also have to admit i like teaching i have a class i've taught uh for a bunch of years uh at harvard law school that's a that is more like a lecture class and i like an audience and (laughs) so i treat it a little bit like uh entertainment and um you know, and all of these things have given me opportunities. I've started talking increasingly about my dyslexia and the challenges of, uh, you know, uh, of having a, a different ability that that in some ways has really powered creativity and in other ways has made it hard. And so I think all of those things have been um, a part of who I am. And, and I think that people are pretty quick to carp, carp, compartmentalize their lives mm-hmm. and, oh, these are my work people and this is my work persona. And then I go home and I have these, you know, poker friends and then whatever. And I just intermix it all. I just can't help myself. When did you discover that you had dyslexia? I was um, I was in third grade, and my I moved to a new town. I had a fifth grade sister and a first grade brother, and and I was in that sort of sweet spot when. Mm-hmm. When kids who are having challenges reading, it becomes particularly apparent. And I got a little bit lucky, and my my sister and brother ended up in a in a program that I did not because the school was sort of like, no, this one isn't that smart. <laughs> and uh, and my mother didn't find that a terribly compelling answer, and so I ultimately got tested and um, and was uh, and. And that was sort of when they discovered, oh yeah, this 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 one's brain is is different. <laughs> and and what did did you did you know there was something amiss before that? Well, I mean, I was uh, I was a terrible reader. I was a terrible speller. I was a terrible writer. Not like the capacity to write an interesting sentence. The ability to just write. Right. <laughs> so. <laughs> Uh, so it wasn't terribly surprising. And to this day, it's not terribly surprising. Uh, in fact, I still laugh about it. I, you know, when I took the, the LSAT, the test to get into law school, um, there was a writing sample that one, you know, you had to write an essay and I don't know if that's still the case, but you know, you write it out in longhand and, uh, I, I finished the LSAT. I finished the essay. I was sort of sitting there trying to decide if I make any comment about the fact that it's assuredly spelled horrendously. And, um, and so I decide, okay, fine, I will. And I write at the bottom of this essay, uh, I apologize for any, and then they call time. And I have to put down my pencil. <laughs> and I said, oh, man, seriously? <laughs> and uh, it turns out that you got a carbon copy of the essay. Right. Uh, that you could take home for what I have no idea why, but for whatever reason. And so I was saying, you know, lamenting to my mother, like, oh, my God, I can't believe it. I finally decided I was going to say something. And my mother started laughing and she said, I don't think they'll have any confusion about it. I said, why? And she said, because you misspelled apologize. <laughs> 
no one's confused about what you're apologizing for. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I love and, it. I love it worked it. out fine. <laughs> I love it. You know that I never knew that about you. Uh, you know, when when I was actually in grade three, I didn't. I wasn't diagnosed with dyslexia, but I was identified as a student that was having trouble uh, speaking, which is really really funny because I've made much of my career out of speaking, and right. I had a bit of a stutter. So I had a teacher, a special teacher, who was a very, very strict and conservative-looking human who wore orthopedic shoes and a very tight bun on her head, assigned to me. She was incredibly delightful. And I got to spend about eight months with this woman every week. And every week she'd give me a new book and we would just read aloud. And it was a really transformative moment for me because it wasn't just about not stuttering anymore. It was about learning that I could learn. Yeah. And that that actually just changed the trajectory of my my academic career. It was, I, I still to this day say that was just one of the most powerful years of my, of my entire life. My, my oldest son is dyslexic and in elementary school, we sort of fought hard to get him just that kind of help. And by the time he had gotten to middle school, he sort of moved on and, and he, and he was apparently fine. And, <laughs> And we sort of never talked about it, but he was just recently made a comment, which I thought was interesting. He was making phone calls, uh, you know, for the presidential campaign. And he said that it the the names would appear at the very last minute. And he said, as a dyslexic, trying to read those names at the last minute correctly was it was near impossible. And he was butchering them. And it just here's a kid who has managed to make his way th- put it way behind him. And yet here was a moment where it still, still showed up. So, right. Right. Yeah. And, and I guess that, and I think that's the power sometimes of knowing, okay, where we are uh, not as strong and being able to compensate for that, but still go on. So the other piece, uh, the, the other question I have for you, I'm, I'm so curious about is where you got your sense of, of yourself. Like, where did you have the, where did you learn about your self-worth enough that every time you'd have a question or an interest, you'd say, yes, I'm, I'm going to pursue it. Yeah, that's, a, I mean, I think growing up in a family where that was reinforced pretty dramatically, right? I mean, was just, and there was no lack of, <laughs> you know, lack of ego in <laughs> In, in the Hornick house, I have to admit, it was sort of like, who else is worth it? Like, if it's not you. Really? Right? Okay. <laughs> um, which is, of course, absurd. I mean, I acknowledge that that's absurd. And I, and, I, and I laugh now, right? I'm this five foot four little chubby man. And I kind of laugh like, you know, really? <laughs> who else? Like, lots of people, I think, in the grand scheme of things. Uh, but, you know, I, I, for whatever reason, grew up with a, a lot of confidence that, hey, I had as much a right to ask the questions and hear the answers and meet great people and, uh, and engage with amazing people as anyone. And, and thankfully, that's been reinforced, right? I mean, ultimately, 
I do think that opportunity and often, oftentimes is what you make of it. And I've had the good fortune of having, having stepped out and tried some things and then having it worked well and reinforced. So if we take that thinking to where we are today, uh, November the 8th, 2020, how do you take that mindset of seeing opportunity and apply it to where we are right now. So, you know, like, where, how, what would you suggest um, someone listening? What should they be thinking about? I mean, beyond their problems, right? oh. because we have a lot of space right now to ruminate about what's not right. Um, how do we start thinking about where there is opportunity for us? Well, I I think that there really are. I'm going to say this, and I'm going to tell you why I've been told by my own children how useless this information is. But I, <laughs> that's what children I, are for. <laughs> I think that 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 the two, and for me it has always been the two motivating factors have always been what am I excited about? What is what is most interesting to me? And and what and what will allow me the opportunity to engage with the most interesting group of people right what what thing would would allow me to be surrounded by amazing people that thing is that's always what i say to students when they're trying to figure out like oh i'm going to go i have these job offers and my answer is like well which is the one where you like the people the best right mm. be around amazing people now the challenge with that, of course, is that sometimes people confuse comfort for being with the people that they're most excited about. Mm. And so you can end up with a monoculture of I've, I go to the places where the people are the most like me, like me. And I think that step one is to overcome that because that's not an exciting life. No. Right? Don't do that. Um, but the reason I said it's uh, my children think it's terrible advice is I remember talking to one of my kids who was trying to decide what classes to take uh, in college. And he said, don't bother giving me your advice. I know what it is and it's unhelpful. I said, well, what's my advice? He said, well, what your advice is to take the classes you're most interested in. I said, of course. <laughs> he said, yeah, but that's not limiting. Well, that's a lucky thing, right? Mm. If you have if you have so much you're interested in, that's lucky. Oftentimes, I think the challenge with parenting and the challenge with life is to find an expansive set of things you're excited about. How do you get excited about not just you know, venture capital, but playing the bass and watching great movies and, and supporting the arts and whatever, like, well, that, that it's by opening your mind to saying like, they're all, these things are all worthy of attention. Right. Well, and, and isn't it also that like, this is what I've found that the, the more comfortable I am with new things and new ideas, like comfortable in the sense that, you know, like it feels good, like you're kind of excited and you, there's this electricity in you. The easier it is to deal with things that are hard. So I, I, so I think that when you can take chances, but play at the same time as you are also taking risk, it feels like there is more for you to try and do and and to come in contact with. 
Yeah, right. I mean, and what? Look, chances are, you know, risks are challenging. I was a, a for a number of years, I was a freshman advisor at Stanford, so I had these eighteen-year-old kids who, when they showed up at school, I would you know, just be a little bit of a Sherpa and welcome <laughs> them and and answer some questions. And one of them, um, at the end of the year, had a couple of different options for summer jobs and and. One was to go to Microsoft, which was a great opportunity and a great company. One was to go to a startup. And I said, which are you most excited about, you know, et cetera. And he said, oh, this startup is really doing fun and interesting stuff. It's like, great, go do that. Hmm. And that's a clear opportunity. And when I caught up with him next, he was at Microsoft. And I said, so what happened? He said, my parents said, don't be ridiculous, go to Microsoft. And he said, look at, I'm the first in my family to go to college and this is an opportunity. And when they looked at it and said, are you, re- can we really afford the risk of something that, you know, different or should you do the thing that is certain to give you, you know, security, et cetera. Yes. They were very clear on what the answer was. And my view is like good, good for him and his parents for having a thoughtful conversation about it. And perhaps after some number of years at Microsoft, he can afford both the mental and economic space to then do the thing that is that is riskier. Precisely. And I, and I think it's being able to have that conversation with, you know, people you trust and then also with yourself. But I think if... Ultimately, if there is a risk taker in you and there is something in you that wants more, you're always going you're eventually going to go and get more. And and I and I do think that this moment with the pandemic, even though it's very traumatic and there's a lot of, you know, loss and pain and and suffering for some people more than others. There's also a it's also a time of like tremendous opportunity because all the things that everyone said you could not do before, you know, like work from home have been proven to be completely wrong. Now we know that a lot of people can work from home and work harder and and produce more work. Now, is it a great thing for your work-life balance? Not necessarily. <laughs> but but we do know it can be done and I and I so I think that this is a moment where there are a lot of things like that where we are just there is no there 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 are no walls. <laughs> there's, there's just like what am I going to drive? So my my last question to you is, you know, what are you driving into next? What what are you doing next or right now that's really exciting you? I mean, I'm super lucky because I have I find my life exciting. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've been, uh, I have been lucky that the thing I do for a living, I find unendingly exciting. And that, so that's, you know, the beauty of the venture business is that you're always meeting new entrepreneurs who are solving new problems. You are always encountering new problems within the, the companies you've invested, et cetera. So I, um, so that's lucky. I I uh, once said to my wife, you know, I'd do this job for free. And she said, don't tell anyone. <laughs> <laughs> I thought she was going to say, don't do that. Yeah, no, don't tell anyone. <laughs> that's nice. I'm happy for you. Now shut up. Uh, I will say the other thing 
in this time while we're we've been sort of locked down and spent a bunch of time together i feel i feel first of all extraordinarily lucky that it has brought my, me and my wife closer together i know that in many instances unfortunately it's driven people apart um but my wife and i have have this sort of shared absolute fascination with um with contemporary art mm. and 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 in and in large part with figurative art and figurative art that is increasingly being driven by a greater more diverse group of people who are making this amazing art and so it has you know it has given both of us the time and an opportunity to continue to explore this you know the just explosion of beautiful amazing imagery and it's just so different from my everyday. My job is not to look at things and say, oh, that's visually compelling or, you know, et cetera. My, my job is much more analytical in some regards. So I, I, I love the yin and yang of those two things put together and they've been really uh, powering me through this time. Oh, that's really exciting. I, okay, so I lied. That was not my very last question. That, <laughs> My very last question is this, and I and I agree with you. I've I really don't tell my husband, but I really I've actually really quite enjoyed uh, spending time with him. Not that that's a surprise, but he's actually very very funny, and uh, you know I still find him really really funny, and and it's been great to laugh as we go through some really uh, traumatic things. But I think um, the question I have for you is really about. Like, what are some things or ideas that are percolating right now in terms of what you are investing in or 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 analyzing as good investments? Is is it mostly on the technology side, or is it on in products? Like, wh- where are you at? Yeah, uh, I think that. I mean, I'm a tech investor. I mean, I. I my job is in investing in tech. My passion is that I occasionally uh, help support Broadway shows. Those shows are not happening when they return. I look forward to create, you know, helping the world see great art. That's mm. going to be fun. In the meantime, I'm looking at technologies and technologists who are trying to solve problems that that exist or have accelerated or have become obvious in this in this interesting and challenging time. Mm. Um, and so, you know, it there's an explosion of platforms trying to bring people uh, together virtually, and that's interesting. Uh, we haven't funded any one of them, but I've played with all of them. There is an explosion of technology that is making it possible to deliver you know, medical uh, um, information, advice, et cetera, to people remotely. So telemedicine, te- we had a televet appointment that was so great. My dog didn't need to freak out and wasn't surrounded <laughs> by a bunch of other animals. And we got a good and in quick answer, right? Like, why, uh, to your point, there's so many things that seemed unlikely or taboo or un- unattainable that now are perfectly clear that they're fine. You know, Mm -hmm. that they're efficient or effective or valuable. And so um, what we found in our portfolio is that actually we were more benefited by the change and the challenges of of, uh, COVID than we were harmed, which is, again, guilt inducing. Yes, (laughs) it's astonishing. 
right? That this has helped? Like, how is that a thing? Um, and yet, from, a, from an innovation standpoint, from a digital delivery standpoint, all of those things, you know, the world has become more digital in ways that are really um, advantageous to someone who, who works with companies that digitize the world. Ah, well, that is very interesting. You're going to have to come back and we're going to have to talk again. Would you be willing awesome. to? Love Excellent. To. Okay, great. Thank you so much for this. I am I'm so grateful and uh, I continue I continue to be excited about what you're doing and how generous you are in sharing it. Friends, thank you for listening to this episode of Let's Talk. I hope you enjoyed it. We are so grateful for your time. And I want to just thank my amazing team, Stacy Maynard and MCI Studios. We would love to hear from you all. So subscribe at Shea Marvel Podcast Let's Talk.com and follow us on Instagram at Shea Marvel Podcast. Looking forward to hearing from you. Be well until next time. Bye for now.